things kind of add together uh, in the Lord's using those to the, through the week. Uh, for me, it was a, it was a, it began Sunday night when we were uh, speaking about sort of an apologetics approach uh, to witnessing to people. I think DJ mentioned something about uh, preaching even in the street and apologetics and so forth. And there is absolutely a place for that and it's instrumental in many ways. Um, but I made the comment Sunday night that uh, I, don't, I don't press those conversations to the point to make me angry anymore. I just, uh, it is a revealed faith and that's my final answer. Uh, in other words, I can make the case and, and pin you down in, with reason and intellect and all those other things. And uh, if I could exhaust every apologetic uh, at the end of the day, though those things may be instrumental, without the calling of God, without the work of God, you will not come to faith. Uh, so it kind of began uh, with that. And then I had another conversation in the middle of the week uh, that kind of contributed along those lines as well. Um, and then all week long, I've been thinking about the two bookend statements by John, uh, which is uh, John 6, 44, uh, where Jesus says, no man uh, can come to the son unless the father draws him. And then in John 14, 6, which not long ago we were in, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through the Son. So there's kind of bookends there. Uh, so salvation uh, is going to be brought about by the Father drawing them to the Son and them coming through the Son to the Father. You can't, there is no salvation apart from those two activities. And one of the, uh, in the conversations that I've had uh, this week, that's really what's been bearing uh, bearing down. So I was just in my reading, came to Romans chapter 10. So I want to read uh, from Romans and just look at a few things here. Uh, we'll read the, read the chapters, only 21 verses. So. Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, speaking of his brethren, the Jews, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on, faith, uh, was based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, Paul says, the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
However, Paul writes, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have not heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out unto all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those that did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So his context speaking to the speaking to the Jews, those who are relying upon the law and so forth. Uh, but I do think there's a, an order given here uh, that is relevant, and not only relevant, but important uh, in regards to those bookend statements. Uh, and, and I think this is really important in, in the context of the conversations we were having. If this, if this is the order in which, in which we are brought to salvation, uh, then it's important that we minister in ways that take that into account. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things I think even with evangelism, uh, I was, uh, I don't want to get too close to the conversation in case someone listens to this online, but uh, one of the conversations I had was suggesting another means uh, by which someone could be convinced of the truths of Scripture uh, and therefore come to be a believer. And so they were substituting something. And what kept coming back to my mind was Paul in Romans 1 says, the power, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel is central to salvation. It is, it is the instrument by which the power of God operates to bring about salvation. And, and the idea that was being proposed was was exclusive of that. Uh, it, was, it was approaching some other direction, and I, I think they were doing it under the guise of apologetics, but even apologetics that doesn't recognize that the gospel is the power that ultimately it brings about the salvation, the apologetics is just an argument based on logic. Uh, and there is a place, I'm not suggesting there isn't a place for trying to answer questions. Um, but we ought to be faithful always to say to those, and I have before, listen, if I could answer every question and I could make a reasonable case for the, for the truth of the Bible, still you would need a divine activity to bring about your realization of that truth and ultimately your salvation. So you are still dependent upon the act and the sovereignty and the grace of God Almighty to bring that about. And it's good for me to remember that, and it's good for that person to understand that as well. Uh, and I, I say that from experience partly, too, because um, that was the dilemma that I had. Uh, I would question Christians, and, and most of the Christians that I knew didn't, didn't know good answers. And so uh, even as little as I knew, I could pin them and, and leave them without answers. And so I walked away patting myself on the back and justified in my unbelief because Christians don't know what they think and what they're talking about. And so, so it is an important place to be able to answer the questions, but they, they were right in one thing. They would say things like, well, you just have to believe. Well, that seemed completely unreasonable to me, but in the end, that's exactly what, what needed to happen, <laughs> and I couldn't bring that about. 
So I want to look just in this passage at sort of the order here. Now he says something I think that's important in verse 17, uh, which is kind of, I think, of a summary of what he's saying. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So that's a, a general summary. So as you already heard the context, he's speaking about his brethren there and he testifies to them. They have a zeal for God. They certainly do. Uh, Paul did when he, was a, when he was a Pharisee. Paul had a zeal for God, but it was not according with knowledge. Because what they are doing is not knowing about God's righteousness. They were through the law seeking to establish their own, their relationship with God based upon their own righteousness, ignorant of the righteousness of God. But he says to them in verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I think he means end there in the sense of the fulfillment of the requirement of the law. There is The law is removed through Jesus Christ for those who believe. And then he mentions the works. Verse 5, the Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness was based on faith shall live by that righteousness. That's your standard. If that's your practice, then that's the evaluating. That's how you'll be evaluated. And ultimately, you'll be, you'll be held up against the law. How did you live up? And not a single Pharisee or anyone else would have fulfilled that law. But if you live by that, if you practice that, that's what you're going to live by. Or, as Paul says in Romans 7, uh, be, be killed by <laughs> in many ways. So Moses writes that. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. That's, I think that's a work. I'll go get him, bring him down. Uh, the righteousness that's of God doesn't say that. And neither does it say, well, I'll, I'll go down and bring him up from the grave. I, really, the indication is I will have some sort of input in bringing this, bringing this Christ to myself. So he says the righteousness based on faith that says this, don't say that. Don't say in your heart you will ascend into heaven and don't say in your heart you will descend into the, into the abyss. Rather, it says this, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. So Paul explains. Now verse 9 and verse 10 almost reverse those if you notice because he says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart. So you might, if that was it, you might say, okay, there's the order. You confess and through confession you believe. But then he turns it around in verse 10. He says, uh, and believes that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, that's true. Verse 10, though, he says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And the, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So here's another order. There's a believing in the heart, which results in a righteousness that produces a confession, which results in salvation. So, so now we got a different order. Now, the first one was you say it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart. This one is you, you believe it in your heart. That results in a certain thing. And then out of that thing, you confess. And out of that confession, you're saved. Your salvation. So you see him building kind of an order here. Then he establishes verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is absolutely true. Now, beginning in verse 14, I think that you see the order taken into context what he's already said as well. But he says this, how then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed. Now, he's just said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is critical to salvation. So he asked the question rhetorically here, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? The implication is they won't. <laughs> there has, belief is prior to, be, to calling upon the name of the Lord. So how then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? Now, here's the second part. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So do you see the order there? And that's what I'm looking at tonight. In other words, there is a, there is a calling that is rooted in believing, that is rooted in hearing, that is rooting in a preacher preaching or the word, which is rooted in those with the word being sent or the appointment of the word as it were. And I'm thinking word in terms of the prophet. So you see uh, that order. Uh, to, to reverse that, this is the way I had it. Uh, this is the bookends taken into account. First of all, no one comes to the son unless the father draws him. So if you're calling upon the name of the Lord, if you're believing, if you're confessing, you, it is a result of the father having drawn you to Christ. And no one's getting to the Father without coming through Christ. So the Father draws you to Christ through whom you come to the Father. And then all these things are indicative of that activity, divine activity, sovereign activity of God in our lives. So this is the order that I had. First, there's the appointment. There's the, there's the sending out of the word uh, through the prophets. In fact, he quotes them later on here in this chapter, verse 17 or verse 18. He begins to quote the prophets of faith comes by hearing and the hearing by the word of Christ. But surely I say they've never heard, did they? They didn't hear anything. And Paul says, on the contrary, <laughs> their voice has gone out into all the earth. So he's quoting the prophets here in the scriptures and their words to the end of the world. So there, there's a voice and their word. It's gone out. And so the word, it's been appointed. Now there were all sorts of prophets that were speaking the words, but it was the word of God. It was going out. So that's the priority there. It is the word of God uh, underneath and foundational to those things. And that's where I'm drawing this idea of sending. So there's these who are appointed with the word to go out. And what do they do? They preach the word. That's what Paul exhorted Timothy. Preach the word in season, out of season. Again, I quoted a moment ago, Romans 1:18. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So they go out and they preach the word. Uh, I had a conversation some time back with somebody regarding teaching and, and preaching. And I think, I don't think you can preach without teaching, but I do think you can teach without preaching. <laughs> uh, there is an exhortational element to preaching that's not necessarily involved in teaching. But you cannot be preaching without communicating or teaching some doctrine, and it ought to be true doctrine, obviously. And so the order here is the word goes out. God has, appoints men to communicate that word, and they go out and preach. Then the next in that order is the hearing. And that's interesting to me, especially in, in verse 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's an interesting way of phrasing that. It, as though, it is as though he's saying that the word itself brings about the hearing. It's not, it's not I would think he would say, well, hearing the word brings about hearing. But he's saying the word itself 
this is where I'm tying it to Romans 1:18. the word itself is invested by the power of God because it is the word of God is the thing that brings about the hearing. In other words, without the word, there's no hearing. So you can hear a lot of things. You can hear apologetics. You can hear arguments. You can hear, you can hear uh, charitable works. You can hear all sorts of good deeds. You can even hear the law. But without the word is instrumental in bringing about the hearing. So there's something about the hearing that, first of all, it implies that we don't have hearing without the word. And so the word brings about hearing. So we have the scent. The word goes out. There is the preaching of the word. There is the hearing, uh, the reason. Or notice here he says as well, so how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Is that what it says? That's not what it says. He says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Verse 14, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Not of whom they have not heard. So there is, a, there is a voice, there is a one speaking in the word that they, that they hear. And only in the word can they hear him. <clears throat> and I just thought that was interesting because we would think that how can they hear unless they hear about him of whom the word deals with. Well, that's true to some degree, but he seems to be saying here there's something more going on here. How will they believe or how will they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? Whom they've not heard. It's as if they won't believe unless they hear Christ, the word. And the only way they'll hear him is through the written word or the word of God that's gone out in regards to the gospel. So you see the order here. He sent the word goes out, there's preaching, there is hearing that results from the word, and that hearing results in believing. As he said there, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? They're not going to call on someone they're not believed in. And how are they going to believe in him whom they have not heard? So if they hear him, then the believing, the implication is that the believing is connected to their hearing him, not just of him, not just about him. And I think sometimes that's what we get into. Even when we preach of him and about him, all we're doing is we're putting the word of God out there, which God, that is the power of God unto salvation, but there is a divine activity involved in them hearing that word and hearing Christ in the word. You see what I'm saying? The hearing Christ, hearing Christ is what produces, therefore, belief. Otherwise, you believe a word, but did you believe Christ? Did you believe in Christ? I, I remember hearing the Bible when I was growing up, and I had no reason not to believe what was being said there. I don't ever remember believing there wasn't a hell or that there wasn't a heaven. I, I mean, I believed lots of things. I believed there was a Jesus. I even believed that there was a Jesus who was God, the God-man. I never, I never disregarded Jesus as just flesh or just a, an apparition of some kind. I never regarded him as myth. I believed a lot of things about Jesus that believers in this room believe about Jesus. But I was never saved. I never heard Jesus. I heard words of Jesus and even consented in some degree to those being true. I guess they are. I have no way of knowing for certain and I'm not equipped to, to negate those in any way, but I never heard anyone in the word, you see. 
And that's what I think Paul is saying here. There is a believing that results from a hearing, not just the word. Certainly that's the, the essential element involved, but the Christ speaking through the word. There is a divine voice that speaks through the word that brings about believing. That's why I've always said when Christ reveals himself to us, there's, there's no way that you're going to see him in his glory and say to him in that moment, yeah, I don't think so. You will believe because there is no doubt in your mind of the reality of him through that divine revelation. Absolutely, it is through the instrumentality of his word and that's why it is the power of God unto salvation because through it he works to reveal himself through the truths written about him but he reveals himself the person. And having encountered the person, why would I believe it? If you walked up to me, anybody in this sanctuary tonight, into my face and says, do you believe in me? I would say, well, yeah. I mean, how could I deny you're, you're there? You're in front of me. You're communicating with me. I see you with my eyes. I can reach out and touch you. You are real. Therefore, I believe you exist. So I think there has to be. Now, if you gave me a book and you said, Jason exists. He lives in up in Union Grove and stays from North Carolina and he has a wife and three children. He exists. And I say, well, I'll take your word for it, but I don't know Jason. And I never will. Never may never know Jason. So I'll take your word for it. But if he comes and he visits me and I see him and I say, and he says, Do you believe that I exist now? And I say, Well, absolutely. How could I not exist? I'm not going to say in that moment, nah, I don't believe my I don't believe my senses here. I know my eyes see you and I, I can touch you and I'm hearing you with my voice, your voice and with my ears, but I, I just don't believe that. So I think there's something involved here in regards to this hearing that produces a believing. Notice as well, he says in those earlier verses, in chapter, in, in chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, particularly in verse 10, strikes me, but he says, For with a heart a person believes. According to his order, according, I have believed now, according to his having revealed himself through his word, I see him, it's my experience now, and when I believe, produced by the hearing, what happens? In the believing, there is a resulting righteousness. And I do think that's through the believing is that imputed righteousness that he's speaking of there. With the heart, having seen Christ, we believe. And you can say the imputation happened there, or you can say the imputation happened to bring that thing about. I won't argue the point with you, but what I'm saying is in the believing with the heart, there is a righteousness imputed. And from that righteousness, confession is made. Now what's in the heart, what has been believed, is manifest now in the voice, those who call upon him. And in confession, he says, resulting in salvation. So that's the, the conclusion of that. So there is the sending, the word goes out through the preaching. There is the divine, I think the hearing, not just of the words, but the divine enabling of the eyes and the ears and the heart to, to believe and to experience Christ. We believe in that moment. And in the believing, there is that imputed righteousness. And from that new position, that new place, the mouth confesses what the heart has believed. And we confess, we agree with God in regards to the remedy for, salva for sin, which is Christ himself. And through that, salvation is made. So the call, I think, is what he's speaking of there. How then will they call on him? He's already said in verse 13, for whoever call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
As I said already, that's true. Whoever, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can go out into the world and you can declare that verse on the corner in Stacesville tonight and it'll be true. And everyone who rides by or walks by and hears that proclamation know, uh, can know that that is a true statement. If they will call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But that doesn't answer for them what will bring about that calling upon the Lord. What brings that about? I've always asked this question, why, why? Did I not call upon the Lord early on in my life? Why did I wait? Why did it take 29 years for me to call upon the name of the Lord? Like I said earlier, I didn't disbelieve things that I'd read about him. I didn't go around trying to refute everything I'd read about him. I just accepted it. Well, that's what the Bible says. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, not sure I'm convinced of those things, but I, I'm not going to dispute them. That's what it says. That's what, if you want to believe that, you go ahead and believe that. For 29 years, that's the way I operated. Never once did I call upon the name of the Lord. But then one day came when I did. But I can tell you from the scriptures and from experience, that calling was the result of something else. It wasn't the initiating event of my having been saved. It was the manifestation of, the, of my having been saved. Really? In fact, it was a manifestation of this exact order. The word went out. The word had been out there through the prophets, through the scriptures, through the preaching I heard when I was a kid. The word had gone out. And by those who were sent to proclaim the word in exactly that order. And one day the word, I heard the word or I heard him in the word. I met or encountered the real person of the word, the real word of God, or the, I shouldn't say that, the word of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And upon encountering him, I believed. The heart immediately recognized he's real, he exists, I believe. And having believed with that imputed righteousness there for and all the obstacles to my coming now to the Father brought out of the way by Christ, then I confess or I agree with God unto salvation and I became a Christian. Now you say, well, did that take two weeks or one week? You may say that all happened in the same moment. The word was out there. I knew the word enough. I heard the word, and then suddenly through the word, Christ manifests himself as the word, as John tells him. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In the 2 Corinthians 4, why I quote it all the time, I saw the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the, through the hearing, the word, hearing Christ in the word, the heart believed. And all that happened in a moment. And so I think this is critically important and it summarizes again when he says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word verse 17 so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ now this is critical to me because when I go out and I have conversations with folks I would be tending to make my case to, to pin you down reason with you, press you to the place. And as I say, I'm not disputing doing that, but I'm saying if I'm locked into this idea that I can do all those things and finally suddenly get you to the place to where you consent through pure logic that this must be true. First of all, if you do that unto salvation, these, this operation is still happening. 
But if you do that based upon your intellect and you've reasoned out, you've heard the reasoning now, and upon my intellectual reasoning, I believe, therefore, I am a believer. I am a Christian from this point on. I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, I think in some ways intellectually it would be possible to acknowledge the truths of Scripture and yet still not be converted, born again. Because God brings that about. Now, I don't think someone who's not born again will have that accurately. They won't put those doctrines together, but I think they can come to some realization of the truth, even if it's experientially to some degree, and not be born again. So when we're ministering to people, and this is where this really struck me home. If you know that you're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, I wonder if it should not, with that, with that in the balance, should not drive us to our knees in earnest, tear-filled petitioning for God to be at work in that moment. And I find myself often saying, Lord, give me the answers. Give me the answers. And Lord, give me the answers to the questions they have. Lord, bring to my mind the answers to the questions that they have. And I sometimes realize that I'm divorced now in that manner from thinking that what they need is the answers. Lord, what I need is you to give me the answers so I can give them and convince them and then they'll believe. What I ought to be doing is saying, Lord, would you over, overwhelm that situation and by your divine power, let them hear a verse and through that verse, meet Christ. And if they see him, all the rationality and reasoning in the world will not be necessary because they will see him for who he is and they will believe in him. Then his word comes to bear and becomes the sanctifying tool in many ways and salvific for them in all sorts of ways. And so, so I go meet them, I bring to them the word of God. I bring to them verses as much as I can, when they ask a question, I try to find a verse that is relevant to that question. I, it may work for some people, but it won't for me, maybe because I don't know all these things. But it, it won't work for me to go gather all the philosophies of the world and come and, come and debate with them about those things. Because, number one, they may know more of them than I do. And number two, at the end of the day, that is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. And so give them the word, give them the word of God through earnest prayer, through tear-filled, heart-wrenching, heart-broken prayer that God would save the soul that you're communicating with from an eternal hell. And then go into that with apologetics or whatever other thing you may introduce that to, but by all means get to the scripture, to the word of God, because that's in the order here. There is the word, there is the proclamation of the word, there is the hearing. I think not only the hearing of the words as they are written, but the divine operation bringing hearing about when they hear the words. And then through the hearing there is the believing, through the believing there is the calling. So if we want in the end for someone to call upon the name of the Lord and we give them this promise, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's what you want. Uh, then I think this passage gives you, the, gives you the order by which they will do the calling, and that ought to be the order by which we're doing it. Primarily, we bring them the Word. And the rest, I think, is a divine operation of God revealing Himself to them through the Word, and they're believing in that.
I believe a lot of things, but a lot of the things I believe have not been transformational in my life uh, to that degree. So things are interesting, and there are things we ought to believe, but ultimately we believe in Christ by his divine order. Uh, you, uh, uh, Jessica kind of played into this. She gave me this article here uh, in regards to the Shroud of Turin. That's what I was saying to her back there. Uh, whatever the research demonstrates to that, however accurate that may be, uh, even if it proves that uh, genetically in some other way and historically and carbon dating, whatever it is, if it, if it proves to be legitimate, it still will not convince, convince those whom he has not called and drawn to Christ. It still won't work. It'll give you, it'll give you an arrow in your quiver, <laughs> If it, if it proves to be true and a lot of other things, it gives you an error in your quiver. I remember hearing people talking about, did you know they found the art? That proves the Bible. Somebody sent me an article the other day uh, that they finally they've proven the Bible is true. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, it won't make a bit of difference to an unbeliever. I didn't, it didn't make a, a hill of beans difference to me whether they found the ark or not. Now, I might scratch my head and walk away and say, hmm, that's kind of interesting, maybe even a little scary. But without that divine work of God to draw me to Christ, to reveal Christ to me, to reveal my sinfulness to me and my need for a Savior, I will not believe in Christ, not in a saving way. I will not believe Him in a way that brings about salvation. And so all these things have their place. I don't doubt that whatsoever. But this order is critical for me, knowing how I came to Christ as well. In fact, you've heard me say this many times, but to me, this is where somewhat humility is born. I mean, when you really get a sense that you're not contributing anything at all as far as initiating those, that relationship with God, that it is His doing by, from the very beginning even unto the end, He draws you to Himself. He, we were... We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's choosing us. He's, he's putting us within Christ. He's doing all these things. And yeah, we're responding, but it's, a, it's reciprocal to what he's doing. I've given the analogy many times of, a, of an EMT worker who comes on an accident scene and he jumps out of the ambulance and he runs down to the victim in the ditch and he finds out he has no vitals. He's dead, flatlined. And so his only option is he pulls out the paddles, he charges up the machine, and he gets ready to put them to the, the victim's chest. Does he stop at that moment and say, now I'm going to try this, but it's your responsibility to respond to this. If he does, the guy's not saying anything. He doesn't inquire of the man whether or not he will respond. He puts the paddle to him, hits the power, charges, goes into the man, and the man responds with a heartbeat. Would the man stand up and say, gosh, I sure am glad I responded. I sure am glad I was smart enough to hear what you said. No, it was the paddles themselves. It was the surge of power coming from the instrument that sent it to him that produced in him a response. And so he's living because of the power that was apart from him but was put into him. And I think the same is true of the new birth. We were dead in our trespasses. We were as dead as we could be. And the power of God through the gospel, the power of God operating, breathed life into a dead man. And yes, ob obviously the response to that power was to respond in belief. So at that point, do I say, man, I sure am glad I believed. 
I'm glad like the Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not like other people. <laughs> but I believed. To me, that's almost blasphemous because you are robbing God of the very glory of your own salvation. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do. And I think even further than that, your sanctification is, is the same way. He is bringing that about. And by the Spirit that dwells in you, our response, our conviction, our repentance, our confession, our, our devotion, our discipline, all those things are manifestations of His grace, His mercy at work in us through the Holy Spirit, bringing us more fully into the image of Christ all the way until we meet Him personally when the work will finally be completed. That, that to me is foundational. And I think there's so many here in the Bible Belt especially uh, that have taken to themselves a pridefulness. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking the other day, there is a, there is a, there is a boldness uh, in Christ that, that resides in a complete dependency upon Him to, to manifest His power through your life. But then there is another boldness, I call it a false boldness, that arises from your belief that you are pleasing to God and therefore you can be confident. Those are two very different things. Uh, and I think the first has in it humility even when it speaks firmly. The second has in it arrogance, which is usually not effective at anything other than offending people. And I think this is the heart of where that humility comes. When we realize, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian and your destiny is to spend eternity in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if that's you, you, are, you have that hope and that promise purely and singularly by the grace and mercy of God through the merit of the sufferings of Christ. That's how, that's how valued the sufferings of Christ upon the cross were because apart from that none of that's yours you don't even respond apart from that he enables the response even through that so so that's where my heart's uh, been this week and maybe it speaks to you uh, maybe not but stand with me and let's pray father we thank you for your word lord i do thank you that you have worked that you have brought about my own salvation. Lord, I thank you for the salvation that you have brought about for those who have believed here. And Lord, it is true that whosoever shall call upon your name shall be saved. But Father, we very rarely ask the question, who is it that calls? And your word tells us that as well. And it turns out that the one who's calling is simply responding to what you have revealed to him, what you have brought to light. And so, Father, we thank you for that great gift, that great mercy. Lord, I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection as well. Lord, wherever we are in this Christian life, in Christ-likeness, however far our sanctification has to go before we finally um, meet our Lord, Lord, we thank you for your mercy that is at work in us. Paul reminds us and encourages us that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. So, Father, thank you for that assurance that it is an ongoing work and it is a work that will be going on all of our lives. And Lord, I thank you for the word, uh, that your written word, by which we can evaluate the spirits and try the spirits in our, in our lives and in the world. So bless those who've come tonight, Father. I pray that our hearts have been encouraged uh, by your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.